You're a piece of scumbag liberal horseshit. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 439 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore, and I am joined today by the same lady I'm joined with every day. Joined by every day, the lovely, the talented Brittany Page. Mm. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> can we can we bring things down a notch just a moment? Are things too <laughs> excited can right we, now? We need to relax. Can we talk about something? Okay, what are we going to talk about? What do we what do you need to talk about? I think we may need to to start a new segment on the program. Okay. Are we doing a call for a jingle? No. A- no, well, maybe. Okay. We'll see how this ends up. Okay. Many of the listeners know, most of the listeners know. Yes. We live in Orange County, California. We do. Which is a weird place to live. It is a different kind of place uh, in terms of the population of people that live here. And I guess like the stereotypes surrounding Orange County, most people know that it's very superficial. There's a lot of rich people here. There's been many TV shows about Orange County, Arrested Development, uh, the OC, I think, is the name of that one. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think like the OC is a better example Laguna of a show Beach about or, Orange County or rather whatever. than Arrested Development. Well, what, but yeah. it demonstrates the assholes, is what I'm saying. Sure, Arrested sure. Development does. Sure. Uh, what are some others? Uh, the Housewives show is an OC, Orange County one. Uh huh. Yeah. That MTV show, Laguna Beach, and then The Hills or whatever, right? Uh, I think The Hills was LA. Oh, okay, but, but it's the same people. Or something, right? Yeah. I don't watch that shit, so I don't know. You seem to know a lot about it. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so we we live amongst a very affluent set of people. And oftentimes, and especially in Orange County, it seems that we bump into people who are, hmm, well, assholes. Entitled, I would say. Yeah, that's it. That's perfect. Very entitled. For instance... The other day, mm-hmm. Brittany and I, I'm going to have you explain what happened because <laughs> because I I will fly off the handle again. Okay. I, I didn't fly off the handle at the time, but after we left, I freaked out. I mean, it seems a little not like necessary to fly off the handle, but I think this That's is... That's why I'm going to have you tell the story. I think this is a good example of kind of the characteristics that we're talking about. So there was a woman in front of us in line at the grocery store, and... She had gotten some sort of item from the bulk area, the bins. You yeah, know, where you... it's kind of a hippy dippy grocery store where they've got like the the bulk nuts and seeds and flowers and pasta and shit like that. Yeah, and you can spoon it yourself into a bag and then put the little thing around the bag and put write the code so that um, when you get to the cashier, she's able to just pick up your item and put the key 
the code in so that she doesn't have to like spend time looking it up. Yeah, right? to know whether it's roasted peanuts or roasted cashews. Right. Which are completely different price points. Right. So they have the pins out there for you and the labels very and obvious. the codes. Yeah, everything is very accessible. God damn it. So this woman, um, she's she puts her things down and let me describe the, the, the woman. cashier starts let me describe the woman scanning the groceries okay. all right all right the only thing she was missing was her little yoga mat okay she had the yoga pants on half of a shirt on very orange county e okay so then the cashier picks up her her bulk bag to type in the code and there's no code and the cashier says to her oh was there a code for this and the woman says oh yeah i just i got it from over there did you need me to go write it down <laughs> but the way that but the way that she said it was like you you don't need me to actually do that you can just look it up right like the, yeah. the phrasing yeah. was she it was clear what she was wanting from the cashier yeah. and so the cashier just said oh okay, I'll look it up, and turned and, and spent some time flipping through this didn't, book trying to find it. Didn't Little Miss Yoga Pants, didn't she say, I can go take a picture of it? At, there was some back and forth, and she was like, "Resign." well, I guess I can go take a picture of it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened as well. See, that is what sent me over the edge. Well, <laughs> you know. Again, you don't need to you don't need to go over the edge, but this well, is Did I go over the edge? No, Un- but I'm talking we- about for your own health, yeah, your own that, mental well, health. That's true. That's you can true. just relax and understand that this is kind of what we're talking about where there's like this sense of entitlement where the, many people believe they like don't have to wait in line or if there's a line they can just cut in front of everybody because they're in a hurry and they don't need to follow the yeah. rules. And so there's a lot of like, well, I don't need to write down the code. Someone will look it up for me or I don't need to wait in line. I'm in a hurry or I don't need to park my car in between the lines. I can take up however many parking spots I need to. I'm in a hurry. Oh, not only in a hurry, but I have I'm important. a Rolls Royce. I don't want a ding on the side of my car. Yeah, I'm important. I'm more important than that's, other yes. people. My time is more valuable than your time. Yeah. So that's that's the kind of attitude that we're talking so about. So I maybe we should do a segment every time something comes up like this where we bitch and complain about Orange County. I mean that probably would be a bummer for everybody everybody else, but it might be therapeutic for me. <laughs> right. I think it would be therapeutic yeah. for you. <laughs> but I'm and I'm I'm sure that these this is not just an Orange County thing. I'm sure that these people exist everywhere, right? But I there, agree with that. there is something unique about this area, just in terms of how many people like That's this it. there are. Yeah, it's the yeah. it's the density with which they exist. Mm-hmm. It's the per capita we have more assholes than even like L.A. You know what I mean? There's a <laughs> lot of assholes in L.A. Oh, Jesse D. Anybody would agree with that. Someone from L.A. would agree there's a lot of assholes in L.A. I'm, yeah. Fact. Perfect. for. Fact. Yeah. I'm just, I'm telling facts. Yeah, everyone would agree with Jesse D. I'm telling the truth here. <laughs> truth isn't truth. And we'll get to that. Yeah. Truth isn't truth. Truth isn't truth, Brittany. Is that what you're telling me? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. So anyway, mm-hmm. sometimes they get fired up about dumb shit. You really do. Parking, you really do. driving, being on your phone at a left turn signal. How about just being on your phone at all? That's It's time for that to stop while you're driving. It's time for that to stop. 
they just raised my car insurance and I called and I said, why is my car insurance going up a substantial amount? Like that $20 a month or something. Right, without without ha- you having gotten a ticket or anything yeah, like that. No. And they said, oh, well, we sent you a packet along with your new materials to show you like how often people are using their phones now and how the rate of car accidents has gone up from people using their phones. Yeah. And I'm sitting there on the phone like, excuse me. I don't use my cell phone while I'm driving. Yeah, which is true. You're very, very disciplined about that. And I don't want to talk about whether or not I've got gotten into accidents because I don't want to jinx myself. But I haven't. I haven't. It was me knocking yeah. on the wood. Yeah. So how dare you? I don't think it works if I knock on the wood. For I'm you, getting though. punished because of everyone else. Technically, bad I don't behavior. think it works if you knock on the wood for you. It doesn't. <laughs> There's nothing you I can do. I was just powering through yeah. what you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, we'll see whether this becomes... Maybe this is a one-time thing because I'm all I angsty. I think it is, yeah. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. But thank you for joining us, everybody. We love you. We appreciate you. Um, here we are, and here you are. Mm-hmm. We do have some listener communication to get to before we get moving along. So let's get into that. Last week on the show, we in, in one of the episodes, we talked about John Brennan having his security clearance revoked by President Trump. Ugh, I hate saying President Trump. Uh, by Donald Trump, with no warning, he learned while it was happening, while Sarah Huckabee Sanders was giving the press briefing, br- briefing, that is when he learned that it had been revoked. Donald Trump told the Wall Street Journal that uh, he did it because of the Russia investigation, and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave a completely different answer. I said on that show, and I'm going to eat a little crow here today, not a ton, but a little bit, that I I didn't think it was bad that it happened, but how it happened was a bad thing. And I was very inarticulate, and we have a couple of pieces of listener communication taking me to task. Hey, Brittany, hey, Jesse. This is Mr. Rock calling from Germany, or a voice memo from Germany. Anyways... I listened to your episode that was released today talking about the uh, reason why the president, or that guy, revoked the security clearance from the gentleman that was the CIA head, former head of the CIA. The reason why a lot of people keep the security clearance after they leave or what have you, or they retire, step down, is the fact that they're usually consulted after the fact about a number of things. And not just by, like, say, their replacement, but say by... Say someone's looking into, say, terrorist incidents happening in the part of Germany I live in. And they may have had hands-on experience with, with that particular thing X amount of decades ago, maybe a few weeks before they got out or whatever. So it's why they, they keep their security clearance. You see a lot of times even with, with police, uh, even as far as the stretch, say, TV, where they'll call on a retired officer to help with something because of the fact that they were the person on the ground or they have intimate details that may not be disclosed or may not be apparent in certain notes or what have you or other evidence. So they might be calling him for those particular regions, especially with something as global reaching as the CIA. He might have X amount of knowledge about details of X, Y, and Z. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. That's the reason why a lot of keep the security clearances. And also, uh, security clearances, when you work at a separate job, say if you go to work for DARPA or whatever, even if you're a CIA, which might seem totally unrelated to what anything like DARPA might do, you still might have to keep your security clearance to get a certain job or to be a, to be a, 
the what you call an outside resource or, or, or a third party to something. That's the reason why they keep the security clearance. So when the president does that, basically it's a slap in the face saying, hey, you won't be able to do anything after this. Especially, it's blatant that he basically did it as, as a, I think it should call it get back. Because look at what he did, what, his first week in office, I believe, or so. He had Russians looking at certain documents uh, that he all of a sudden deemed, oh, they can look at this because I'm the president. I can declassify things if I want. So that's kind of horse shit to me. So he can invite the Russian, I want to say, the ambassador. And so I have to look at certain things. And then, but then someone who's had a lifelong experience working the CIA, he, he, revokes, he revokes his credentials like that. Yeah. Smells like a duck. Talks like a duck. Definitely probably a duck. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Even though, Jesse, you're a rock because you're a Marine like me. So, hoorah. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Over anything else of what's said on this call, I'm more curious about what exactly a duck smells like. I definitely don't want to know. <laughs> I definitely do not want to know. <laughs> a fellow Marine. Yeah. Stay green, Marine. Mm. Good times. So listen, <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to address this because I, I still don't think I'm wrong. I think this is what I think you got yourself into trouble. I think that there was like um, a difference without a distinction, like between what you were trying to explain in your feelings yeah. about it being revoked. Well, and so people got confused because you were trying to like distinguish between your two feelings when yeah. really there wasn't a well, difference between them. That's kind of what my perception what, is. What happened was you pushed back a little bit and then I, I, I defended too much the one side of it, which made it sound like I didn't give a fuck at all that Brennan lost his security clearance. All I said was, Brennan is not harmed by this. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I said. So it's the late's fault. No, 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 no. No, it's me. <laughs> I shouldn't have reacted the way I did. Okay. Um, but don't we have one more? Do we have an email about this? Yes, and then we I want to then I'm fully gonna go into why I was wrong or why I wasn't wrong. This is from Amy. Greetings from Camp Lejeune. I've been listening to you guys since before the election, and I hope you both realize that what you do is so important. As noted above, I live in eastern North Carolina and work on the base, so I'm in the minority here, political beliefs-wise. I really appreciate being able to get into the car and listen to some rational conversation, and even more so, I appreciate the thoughtful and very human way you approach and work through issues. Being a liberal in a sea of red means that I'm constantly trying to reconcile my positive feelings toward acquaintances and coworkers with the fact that they support such horrific people and policies. In so many political arenas these days, the line is very black and white. If you support the GOP, you're a bad person. If you support the Democrats, you're a good person. But as with most things in life, nothing is ever that clear, and it's nice to hear that you guys struggle with this too. All of that fangirling aside, the reason I <laughs> the reason I wanted to write in was to address a comment that Jesse made about the fact that John Brennan losing his security clearance isn't a big deal. I'm sure others have already pointed this out, but just in case they haven't, it actually is a big deal. 
top intelligence officials who retire maintain their security clearances so that they can serve as resources when their institutional knowledge can be helpful, e.g. to give context surrounding decisions that were made when they were in charge or to give suggestions or advice to officials regarding situations they have a lot of experience with. Others have pointed out that the intention may also be to limit access to materials that they may need with regard to providing information in the Mueller investigation. But no matter what the reason, anytime you capriciously take away a resource with decades of experience and knowledge from the intelligence community, you weaken the protections the IC provides. So sure, I agree that taking away the clearance didn't hurt John Brennan, but it does our national security, which is a disservice to all of us. Thanks again for all you do. Love you guys. The consideration and compassion for humanity you guys bring to the show, bring to every show, is the best part. P.S. I know he never comes out and says it, but I get the impression that Jesse may have been a Marine. So Semper Fi. Fake news. Uh, that's a great point. Actually, that is a, that is a sterling point right there that really puts me in my place. Um, one, it agrees with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm joking here. Mm-hmm. But, but it, so again, Brennan wasn't harmed by this, but the larger intelligence community in general is absolutely harmed by this. That is a great fucking point that does that decimates what I said last episode. <laughs> um, but what good I wanna, job, Amy. What I want to point out to both the caller and 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 the email is all those are great points. You should turn your phone off, Brittany. Uh, those are both great points. <laughs> you probably didn't even show up a lot of hate yeah um those are both (laughs) great points however just because his his security clearance his top secret likely well for sure q security clearance was taken away was was revoked it doesn't mean that he will not be able to in the future and again everyone's going to think i'm i'm defending what donald trump did i'm not i'm just i have an understanding of security clearances like it seems both amy and i didn't catch the callers that mr rock or whatever Anyway, they seem both knowledgeable about the the intelligence business. Mm -hmm. And um, Brennan can, in the future, be granted an interim or a provisional, uh, like a temporary security clearance in order to be let in on um, decision making or or, um, briefings. Right. So it's not necessarily once that it's been revoked, he can never have it again. It... All that to say, what Donald Trump did is a is an act to try to silence, in my opinion, to try to silence others out there in the intelligence community or pr- former intelligence community officials uh, from speaking negatively about him. That, hey, you keep your fucking mouth shut or I'm going to come for you too, which he's already he's already signaled in that list of nine. Um, the good thing is that a giant group of individuals in the intelligence, uh, former officials in the intelligence community came out and uh, wrote Donald Trump a letter. Yeah, everyone's banding together. um, Condemning what he did. Mm -hmm. So before we move on from this, since we're here, John Brennan actually went on the air with Rachel Maddow. I saw a lot of morons on on Twitter and Facebook, <laughs> and you know that's where they are. The no. morons, that's where they all are. And they were saying, "Oh, you know, he's a, he works for CNN, and he's just the fake news CNN guy. He has a contract with MSNBC. 
He's a contributor to their network. He's not has nothing to do with CNN. So all the morons who don't know anything about what they're talking. I mean, I don't know why I'm even wasting time on it. It should be expected. Anyway, here's a short snippet of her talking to him about what went down. Um, this interview tonight with John Brennan will be his first live TV interview since the president took this action. Uh, Director Brennan, thank you very much for being here tonight, sir. I know you have choices about where to be. Thanks for being here. No, thanks, Rachel, for having me on. Um, so uh, you were CIA director from uh, 2013 to January of 2017. You were President Obama's counterterrorism and homeland security advisor. Uh, You were 25 years as a CIA officer um, before that. You have been through some stressful situations in your life. Um, How has it been these past couple of days since the president singled you out for for attack and and punishment in this way? It's fine. As far as I'm concerned personally, I'm fine. It's not unexpected. Uh, He had signals that something like this was going to happen. Nobody, though, got in touch with me from the White House or CIA since it was first noted that my security clearance was under review. I learned about it when somebody called me to say that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was announcing at the podium that those clearances were revoked. Uh, Again, I was not shocked uh, for a couple reasons. One, there was a heads up. But secondly, I'm not shocked, quite frankly, at all the appalling things that Mr. Trump has done. And so I think this is uh, an egregious um, act that flies in the face of traditional practice, as well as common sense, as well as national security. I think that's why there's been such an outcry uh, from uh, many intelligence professionals, uh, not to support me, but to support the principle that security clearances are something that's very, very solemn and sacred, and they never, ever should be used for political purposes, either to grant friends those clearances or to revoke clearances of your critics. And that, above anything else, is what's important here. That Donald Trump, once again, is leveling punishment, leveling consequences against his enemies, his perceived enemies, those who criticize him, while heaping praise and benefit upon those who he sees as allies. And that is antithetical to our American system of justice, and government, and certainly the apolitical system of intelligence gathering and analysis in this country. Well, and this is why character matters. And when the presidential election was going on, you had some people who said, well, I'm eager to see what Trump can do as far as getting in there and kind of mixing the whole thing up and just being a different kind of guy and talking yeah. talking the way normal people talk with his gold-plated toilet seats. And... Um, <laughs> It's unfortunate because he showed who he was and he showed what his character was. Um, He talked openly about how he he could act presidential at the drop of a hat and he would do that when the time came. And I don't know if people really still fucking waiting for that. Yeah, I don't know if people really went for that or if people just didn't care because they wanted to see someone different and not presidential in the role. But here we are with that. And just like Nixon, Donald Trump has kind of an enemies list, right? Where he doesn't appreciate these people who are criticizing him. He doesn't appreciate journalists who are reporting the facts of what goes on in his insane administration. And so he's targeting those people and he's trying to punish them. He's trying to silence his critics. Yeah. And it's alarming because more people are not concerned about that and that kind of behavior coming out of the White House. Yeah, well... When they were, when Nixon was doing it. For sure. It is 
it's interesting that you said that about Donald Trump coming in. That's interesting. It's 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 an obvious point. Not that <laughs> tripping over myself to say what I'm saying here, but Donald Trump is his appeal to people. Not all the people who voted for him, but many of the people who voted for him. His appeal was what you said. He's just gonna go in there and he calls it like he sees it. Mm-hmm. You know this guy. Donald Trump. Baby. Yeah, super happy that he's going to go in there and, and mix things up. We live in a very dangerous world. We live in a serious place where horrible things happen, and we don't need this guy Trump, baby. running diplomacy, running intelligence gathering for our very dangerous world. We need serious people, steely-eyed individuals who are going to face down danger and not make the world worse off with their insane disrespect for the system. Not someone who acts like a mean girl. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Exactly that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are, are you foreshadowing like, here? Like he's a member of the plastics. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit. We'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. Anyway, uh, callers, emailers, thank you guys. Yeah. We appreciate it very much. Um, next call. Again, we're getting we're, we're getting a lot of feedback on this, and it is it's very tough, very difficult to talk about, and not because I don't want to offend any Catholics. I mean, if if we if we had any offendable Catholics, I'm sure last episode did them in. Um, this is an enraging topic, and. Uh, Here's a caller. Hi, guys. My name is Kyle. I'm from Baltimore. I'm coming to talk about the Predator Priest scandal. Um, all of my family is heavily involved in the church, and I've been an atheist since I was about 10 years old. Um, went to Catholic high school. You know, it was pretty rough. Got beaten up several times. Really, more times than I can really count, but... It was a hard time with my family, too, because they started to realize I wasn't a believer, and it became difficult to consistently make me go to church and everything else. And then when I really found out about what happened with the sex scandals in the church, I I, I got angry, naturally. You know, who wouldn't be? Um, but now with this recent scandal and my family's heavily involvement, heavy involvement in the church, I don't know how to tell the people that I love the most that the Catholic Church, to me, has become one of the most wicked, evil, hate-filled organizations that I've ever been witness to. I I don't know how to address it. I don't know how to come to terms with them and say, I I can't be involved with that anymore. Because I haven't been a part of the Church, but it just... It runs a chill down my spine to think about ever going back inside a Catholic church. And I don't really know how to address this with my family and come to a place where they can understand that I just can't tolerate what they've done to children over the years. It's not something that's acceptable or something you can just brush away, which seems to be the attitude they've chosen. Don't pay attention to it. You know, look at the good of the church. But... That argument isn't enough for me anymore, and I need to figure out a way to talk to my family about this. So, if you guys have any advice, that'd be super amazing. Uh, 
Love you both. And uh, I appreciate what you guys do. So thank you very much. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Kyle, thank you for the call. That was awesome. Um, I <laughs> These are always tough. Yeah. I always get nervous when someone wants advice because... Um, Do we need a, like a disclaimer that this advice being given to you is not from a clinical standpoint? This is just Brittany P. Yeah. Not therapist Brittany P. Yeah, that would be nice. Anybody has any verbiage for that, that would be great. Yeah. I doubt it at dollamore.com. So... <laughs> I think I think the important thing is that maybe it's best not to feel like a responsibility like Kyle is the one who needs to go to his family and somehow convince them. Yeah. Like that that's his responsibility. Um religious beliefs, political beliefs, these things are heavily tied into identity. And Kyle's family has likely spent a lot of time, money, um effort dedicating themselves to the Catholic Church sure. and to its teachings and spreading the message and participating in all of the rituals. And they've likely spent a lot of time doing that. And so admitting that there's something very wrong with this institution that you've dedicated so much time to and that you are so closely affiliated with, like your identity is tied to that organization. Yeah. It's really hard to break down those walls and admit that there is something wrong here and that maybe you need to reconsider how close you are to this institution or how much you're supporting it. Um, and I think that's something that takes time. Obviously, the scandal has been going on for a long time. So they've had some time to consider those uh, scandals and the impact that it's had and what their approach should be um, to the church and... I, I, I don't know if his family is coming around or hopefully it'll if be, they will. Hopefully it'll be one of those deals where there will be a straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back. And then it's like, all right, this is this is too much. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I again, I don't think it is Kyle's responsibility or that he should feel like that's his responsibility um, because I, I don't know what he could do personally to make that change yeah. for his family members, given what he's up against here. Um, so I know that there's a lot of columns being written now by Catholic um by members of the Catholic Church. I've seen several more come out in recent days of people saying that the Catholic Church really needs to answer to this, um, that they have no, no more moral authority. Um, so I think that something is different about this latest report. So we may start seeing some of those walls crumble. Yeah. but Hopefully so. Mm -hmm. And good luck and let us know, Kyle. I know we didn't give you a ton of advice here. I think um, that's better advice than I certainly would have would have been able to muster, which is, it's not your deal. You be you. Mm -hmm. All right. I think we've got a couple of emails, too. So this is from Sean in Colorado. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. Sean in Colorado here, your resident Glenn Beck hate listener. <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to episode... Somebody's got to do it. 438, and as a former Catholic myself, I wanted to weigh in on the new and ongoing revelations about the abuse of children. As a young adult, I left the church specifically because of these atrocities. The pedo priests were bad, but I believe the cover-up by church leaders to be even worse. I simply refused to associate myself with an organization that would allow those things to happen. That being said, I still have ties to the community, friends, family, and they're circling the wagons. It's herd mentality. The church is being attacked, and they by association are also being attacked, and defend themselves the only way they know how. 
platitudes of, yeah, okay, there's been some bad, but look at all the good, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Unfortunately, I think if you've associated so much of who you are to being this thing, a Catholic, it's very hard not to defend the brand. The brand. Anyway, my two cents. Thanks for all you do. Peace out. And hmm. Sean is getting to what I was just saying, exactly. Um, that an attack on the church is like an attack on them because, again, your religious beliefs, your political beliefs, yeah, all these things are so sure. closely tied to who you are as a person, how you identify yourself to others. I am a Catholic and everything that goes along with that label and what that represents. And now when you say, I'm a Catholic... People are thinking, wait a minute, what about that Pennsylvania thing that just came yeah, out? Yeah, sure. You know, what about that Boston thing? What about that Milwaukee thing? Right. What about the New Zealand and Australia thing? Right. And so it's 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 different where you're not only defending yourself, but you feel like you have to defend the organization. Yeah. Wow. All right. I think we have one one more email on this, and then we will... It's not hot in here at all. <laughs> well, you know, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> especially with all the uh, hot breath that I'm breathing into the mic that I feel is just like being reflected right back into my all face. All right. Okay, hi, Jesse and Brittany. This is John from Northern Idaho, not Southern Idaho like Jesse. I'm not from Southern Idaho. You're from Northern Idaho. Yeah, I am. Well, I, yeah, North Central Idaho guy. Mm-hmm. Fucking Idahoans. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to weigh in with a comment regarding what reforms are necessary for the Catholic Church to recover, in quotes, from this latest scandal. There is an example in history that might show us a way, though it is not a direct analog to the current situation. In 1945, when Nazi Germany fell, a couple of very interesting things happened. First, the Nazis were not given the opportunity to find a path to redemption or to submit a long-term plan to be the government that Germany had always needed. Instead, their power to choose their future was completely stripped from them, and a League of Nations assembled to find a solution that was first equitable to their victims and then focused on rebuilding the underlying structure of their nation, though not their political party. Second, and to me is important, a coalition of victims assembled to seek out and meet punishment to the perpetrators and to craft a social conscience that still lives in Germany and elsewhere today. I am not naive, and I know the power the Catholic Church wields over nations as well as people, so I don't expect this to happen just yet. But how nice would it be to see the future of the leadership of the Catholic Church put into the hands of all its stakeholders instead of just the privileged few? In a perfect world, this is what the church could do. Stop sending apologists out trying to explain away the failings of the clergy. Stop calling these monsters priest predators. They lost the title of priest when they forfeited their moral mandate to live godly and violated all those children. They are just predators. That's all. Next, disband all the leadership even remotely associated with these happenings, from Father What's-His-Name to Pope Francis. Bring in the aforementioned group of victims, laity, and other involved parties, and let them help decide what changes need to take place. I know that sounds radical, but the Catholic Church has manifestly shown itself unable to govern its own affairs. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Now, being honest, I really have little hope of this ever taking place, not even close, but I think it does lay out some points that might be worth considering moving forward, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I really do love the show, and thank you for all you do. And of course, Brittany is the best part, Torticollis and all. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. 
Thank you, John, for the torticola shout out. I really appreciate that. Hopefully, quick, quick hopefully those days are behind me. Um, yeah, I, I think victims need to have more power for sure. And that's one of the problems that you saw with Pope Francis, where he is not holding the victims up and giving them power. He was questioning their stories and causing more fervor over the controversies in the church by questioning whether or not their accusations were real. Um, also by calling back bishops and cardinals as they got in trouble, got into hot water for shifting and moving li like a, a fucking three-card Monty game, all of these rapists. He is complicit in this. Mm -hmm. And then you have people like Bill Donahue. Ugh, um, that fucking loudmouth jowled freak. The Catholic League or something. What, what is he from? He's the president of the Catholic League, which yeah. is just him and a secretary in an office. It's not like a, a giant organization. Really, that's what it is. Who defends the Catholic Church at all costs. And so much so that he said some horrific things this week. Yeah, he really did. Um, and... So I, I think I think John's getting to an important point, which is empowering the victims is is very, very important and giving them positions of power. Um, I've heard people talk about, and this uh, was on a segment on Bill Maher's show this weekend, of the celibacy thing yeah. needs to end and that women need to be put in positions of power. And when I hear those two things, I feel very confused because in my mind, I'm thinking... <laughs> people are essentially saying if these priests had an adult to have sex with, they wouldn't be turning to children to rape. Yeah. You know, you know what priests could do is have sex with women undercover. Yeah. On the sly, they could be getting some strange. Right. Instead, they're raping children. That's not a hard up for sex problem. That's a fucking pedophile problem. Right. And then I guess when people say women should be in power, they're kind of making this argument that uh, women are less likely to be predators and maybe there would be more supervision and this kind of stuff wouldn't go on because women would be supervising things and, and not allowing it to happen. Um, but I think we should take a step back and look at the institution and think about why there are so many people that are drawn to this role and what it is about that organization that is enabling predators to come in and feel like they have free reign yeah. to run the show however they see fit. Uh, it's kind of like how that one priest wanted to then go work at Walt Disney World. Right. Um, because, well, why would he want to go work there? It, it's, so it's, he could be around children. Right. It's the same reason that Jerry Sandusky, while a football coach, created a youth organization where he was targeting at-risk youth who were taking part in his football camps and raping them in the shower. Mm -hmm. He created his own recruiting system, his own way to find children. The Catholic Church is a built-in way to have access to kids. When that guy left the Catholic Church, what's another hardwired system of children being there? Disney World. Mm-hmm. 
You're right. It's not a surprise. Right. And what is it about the power structure um, or the types of people that are coming to church, right? The the types of children that they feel like they can prey on in that environment, people that are seeking comfort, people that are seeking spiritual direction, right? Oftentimes vulnerable people. Yeah. And um, there's something about that institution where they feel they can go there. The kids respect the elders and they can take advantage of that. Yeah. So... I think before we start talking about celibacy and things like this, um, that we can stick with the institution and talk about the flaws of the institution, the cover up, what's going on, that everyone is trying to protect this church at all costs before children. Yeah. Listen, there's we'll leave this topic on this quote. Uh, I'm very fond of this quote. It is often misattributed to Edmund Burke. And it is the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil. It's for good men, good men and women to do nothing. Well, in the scope of things that could be evil, is child rape not at the top of the list? And that's why last episode, and I'll do it again now, good Catholics everywhere, good humans everywhere should be crying from the rooftops for justice here. Whether that means dismantling brick by brick the Catholic Church to protect children. But in the face of evil, the only thing necessary for triumph over evil is for good men and women to do, no- to do nothing. That's the only w- way. Anyway. I also want to quote from friend of the show, Alina, who posted that the Catholic Church, quote, the Catholic Church should be stripped of its tax-exempt status immediately. It's aiding and abetting of criminal sex rings because of its aiding and abetting of yes. criminal sex rings. And I think that this is a very good point and uh, something that should be being talked about all over the news, everywhere. Um, these independent investigations are great, but... Um, when are we really going to start to see change here? I mean, how many reports have to come out and tell us that this is going on? Well, this is what happens. This is a familiar pattern. It's that there's a scandal that gets uncovered. The church says, oh, sorry about that. Oh, this is terrible. This is, oh, man, we're going to do better. Oh, my gosh. And they kick the can down the road. It's a lot like the gun violence thing. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. People forget about the the horrificness of the tragedy. It dulls a little bit. It's not as 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 in your mind, right up in your face. People forget about it, and then it's business as usual. And mm-hmm. that's I don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this is the first time actually. So the Vatican has responded. Last time on the show, we said the Vatican hadn't responded. Pope Francis hadn't made a statement. Um, the Vatican spokesman Greg Burke issued a statement. And according to the Daily Beast, this is actually the first time that the Vatican has used the word criminal when referring to the sex abuse allegations was in this statement where they called uh, the report a criminal and morally reprehensible. Yeah. Um, And they talked about the accountability of the church Uh, in the statement. They said, quote, the church must learn hard lessons from its past and there should be accountability for both abusers and those who permitted abuse to occur. Um, and they went on to say that the Catholic Church reforms in the United States drastically reduced the incidence of clergy child abuse. Let, let me say something. So they, again, th- they're saying, oh, we need to do better. We need to right. learn from the past. But hey, 
we've had some reforms right. and we're doing better with this. Until they can take their, uh, what was the phrase again? Criminal and morally reprehensible. Yeah, they can take all of that and shove it right up their ass until, because a lot of this was taken from secret church archives. So until they turn over these priests who they know are child rapists, who they know are molesting children, who they know are stripping away the innocence of children, until they do that and they turn these guys over to cops... They can fuck straight off with their criminal and outrageous or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Well, it's all words until they actually do something to support the victims for sure. and to hold these abusers accountable. For sure. And that's part of the statement. They said, quote, victims should know that Pope Francis is on their side. Those yeah. who have suffered are his priority and the church wants to listen to them to root out this tragic horror that destroys the lives of the innocent. But the thing is, in the past, Pope Francis has uh, accepted resignations from bishops and cardinals involved in abuse or cover up of abuse. And he hasn't demanded resignations for clergy that were complicit in the abuse in this latest report. And so I guess the point is great hearing from the Vatican, great having them call it criminal, not great hearing them try to make excuses for it, saying that some reforms have (laughs) drastically decreased the rate of abuse. Um, Where's Pope Francis on this? He's he's supposed to be leading the charge. The, 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 The reform I want to see is proactively rooting out these rapists. You go to them, you take them, you bring them to the police. That is the only reform that is necessary and that is qualified to get any sympathy from reasonable people. Support for I Doubt It With Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Nelson. Nelson. Bobby. Bobby. Ryan. Ryan. Beautiful. Three new Patreon supporters. Amazing. Yeah. So we love we, it. We were in a little bit of a... A little uh, in the desert there, a little we lull, were, yeah. a little, little dry spot. Yeah, and Nelson, Bobby, and Ryan brought us back from the brink. Awesome. Well, what brink we were on. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be a little bit more dramatic. Trying to act like me. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Yeah. So thank you all. We appreciate the support on Patreon very much. Here is what we're going to start doing. I think we're going to do it quarterly. That's just a number I'm saying. I don't know. <laughs> but in let's say, when should we do this next episode that I, we're going to talk about right now? When should it be? Um, Let's say a month from now. Let's say one month from now, mm-hmm. we are go- going to be doing an Ask Me Anything that is Patreon only. Yes. So it'll be the only episodes that we have so far put behind a paywall mm-hmm. will be this. Yes, so you'll have an opportunity if you are a Patreon supporter to submit a question to us and uh, we will do an episode answering questions from Patreon supporters only and then the Patreon supporters will have access to that episode as well. Only, only yeah, Patreon it'll be behind. supporters. Well, normally what we do, and, we, and we, we talk about this, and I think it's different from really anybody out there, is we put our content out for everyone and then those who would like to help support the show 
can take pride knowing that they are helping move the conversation forward and that they're they're pr- producing the content and providing it to the rest of the audience that isn't in a position to pay or doesn't give a fuck about paying or whatever because it's a free <laughs> show. But this will be a Patreon only kind of thing. Uh, we'll we will have you can message us through the Patreon system. So we're only receiving questions from Patreon supporters. And then we'll do an episode where we answer whatever questions you have. Politics related, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to ask. Yeah. Sam Harris, there's a lot of podcasts that do this kind of thing. Yeah, I think Sam Harris, so he doesn't do ads. He's only listener supported and he does everything for free. He puts all of his content out, but he does put his Ask Me Anything episodes behind the paywall as well. Yeah. So. Well, we love you guys. And we, you know, we want to, we want to add value to your lives, whether it be um, in news and reporting, but also cultural touchstone issues that we talk about. But we also want the supporters that support us on Patreon to feel like they're getting something special. So we do the hangouts, the monthly hangouts. Uh, we send stickers if you're at a certain level. Uh, we try to do little rewards and bonuses, but we, we're trying to brainstorm other ways that we can do um, bonuses. And we thought this would be a, a good way to do that. So if you want to take part in that, Patreon's the way to do it. Again, dollamore.com slash Patreon. Thank you, guys. We love the shit out of you. You're awesome. Pew, 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 pew. So we always talk about this issue of like debating online. I guess we don't always talk about it. Well, can we also say this, that we haven't done a pew segment in a long time, and we're getting ready to talk about pew research. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we should have done that, too. I, I just figure everyone knows what pew, pew, pew means. Yeah, you know, what are yeah. we going to do? Yeah. Um, Arguing online. Yeah. So, Jesse D., mm-hmm. do you think uh, in the past year, have you changed your views about either a political or a social issue uh, based on something that you saw on social media? What would you say? Hmm. <laughs> Um, kind of putting you on the spot here. Yeah, yeah, but it was probably research that I saw. Mm-hmm. For instance, when we talked about it last, uh, um, a few episodes ago, several episodes ago, about how Republicans thought that 50% of the Democratic Party was black or gay or mm. whatever, and then Democrats thought that like 30% of Republicans made $250,000 or more or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And the, the numbers were radically off yeah. the charts wrong. Right. So that really reinforced with me that the we are more tribal and don't understand one another more than I even thought. So mm-hmm. maybe it just gave me more understanding. I didn't really change my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. You put me on the spot, so it's hard. Well, you gave me a specific uh, example of something that you had modified your view, and I was just looking for a yes or no, whether you had or you had not. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the answer is yes. Is that right? Yes, let's say yes. Okay. Sorry. So you are in a um, a small percentage of the public that say the same. Only 14% say that they have changed their views about a political or social issue in the past year because of something they saw on social media. Hmm. So in this conversation that we sometimes have about whether or not conversation online is productive and whether or not people can change their minds about issues through um, conversation on social media doesn't seem like it's having such a great impact. Yeah, but it's having some impact. That's true. That's a good way to look at it. You know, it's almost 20%. I mean, that's that's one out of five. It's, it's slightly less than one out of five. That's what it is. 
I mean, if you expect you're going to be changing hearts and minds willy-nilly all over the place, it's not going to be that way. You're only looking for the outliers, I believe. Maybe that's me being optimistic. By your face, I would assume it is just me being optimistic. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not thinking that. But I, I've, I've been adjusting my views about how productive it is to have conversations online in in recent months. But we'll get there. I don't typically do it. Yeah, I've been doing it much less than I used to. Because I'm not as good at it as you are. I get frustrated, you know, and tell people to fuck straight off. Too, way too easy. Okay, we'll we'll get there in a minute. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> when looking at the numbers, it's interesting the group that jumps out as most likely to change their views because of something they saw on social media, and it's actually young men. Hmm. Yeah, so young men are more likely than others to say that they've modified their views because of social media. Around three in ten men, ages eighteen to twenty-nine, so twenty-nine percent, say their views on a political or social issue changed in the past year due to social media well that's this is roughly twice the share saying this is among all americans and more than double the shares among men and women ages 30 and older it makes me wonder which, which direction yeah, it's what, going <laughs> i mean if it's it's like yeah i used to think being gay was great until i listened to jordan peterson and then all bets were off that's not good yeah, I recently discovered Gavin McGinnis in the last year. <laughs> and boy, does his asshole look wax. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, there are also differences by race and ethnicity. Around one in five black, 19%, and Hispanic, 22% Americans say their views change due to social media compared with 11% of whites. Um, so, of course, you have all these different... Um, campaigns going on not campaigns i guess prominent social issues that are happening on social media yeah, like sure. the me too movement and hashtag black lives matter anything that you can put a hashtag in front of uh that's something that's going to get out in front of people with the political social movement sure and like you said it's hard to know which direction people are going but according to this uh pew research report um, social media prompted views to change more among Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents than among Republicans and Republican leaners. Hmm. So Democrats seem to be more open, I guess, to changing in the past year or um, saying that they have changed on a social or political issue because of something they saw online uh, when compared to Republicans. That's very interesting. Yeah. 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 We would love to know what you guys think about this. If you've changed your mind on something in the last year, uh, it's actually a question we try to pose to uh, a lot of the, the guests on the show is what's something you changed your mind about recently? I think it's important. I think it's uh, it's something we should all strive to do more is be proud of the fact that we're open to new information and that our minds change when the facts change. Um, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. All right. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So I'm sure everyone, we've alluded to it earlier, has heard that Rudy Giuliani told Chuck Todd today on Meet the Press that the truth isn't the truth. Truth isn't truth. And I wanted to give you guys the context in which he said it because it is ridiculous. 
this war on public opinion that the Trump team has been playing for the better part of a year and a half is really hitting a fever pitch right now. And they are twisting and and, and, and writhing, trying to control the narrative as best they can. And in my opinion, they are fucking it up at every step. You believe this is on them, that you would have... That, that you guys have not delayed the interviewing, uh, no. delayed the negotiations. Yeah, yes, Mueller. each time by three or four days so we could write a letter in response. They have taken two to three weeks to get back to us. So I, what I have to tell you is, look, I'm not going to be rushed into having him testify so that he gets trapped into perjury. And when you tell me that, you know, he should testify because he's going to tell the truth and he shouldn't worry. Well, that's so silly because it's somebody's version of the truth, not the truth. He didn't have a, a conversation. Truth is truth. About, I, I don't mean to go like. I, no, I it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. The president of the United States says I didn't. Truth is a uh, truth. Mr. Mayor, do you realize what I. I no, I, no, no. This no, is going to become a bad don't, don't, do, don't, do, don't do this to me. Don't do uh, truth Donald is a truth Trump, to me. Donald Trump says, I didn't talk about Flynn with Comey. Comey says, you did talk about it. So tell me what the truth is. Don McGahn might uh, If you're such a genius, John McGahn, Don McGahn doesn't know. If that's the situation, okay. they have two pieces of evidence. Trump says, I didn't tell him. And the other guy says that he did say it. Which is the truth? And you're, well, I mean, maybe point, you you're know right. because you're, you're Under a genius. two people, I know you're right. I don't read minds on that front. Let me ask so you we this have, final we question. Have, no, 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 no. Let me finish. We have a credibility gap between the two of them. You've got to select one or the other. Now, who do you think Mueller's going to select? One of his best friends, uh, Comey, or the president who he has been carrying on a completely wild, crazy, is it possible, unorthodox investigation? Is it possible he makes a conclusion based on who's been more truthful over the years? It's possible that he'll make the conclusion on which of the two statements is more logical, which of the two statements has more common sense. Yeah, it's possible he can do that. That is spectacular. So what's interesting about that is what we covered on 438, I believe, where Rudy Giuliani, remember, you played the clip that Jake Tapper didn't have ready of Rudy yeah. Giuliani revealing what was said to James Comey about Michael Flynn. And so he's trying to say, well, what is truth? Well, Rudy, you just talked about it like a month ago, right? That's right. So he keeps going on these shows and it just seems like a huge mistake. I don't know why yeah. people are not getting him under control, telling him, listen, you need to stop going on these shows because you're really causing a problem here. Well, once, listen, once... Once uh, the House flips to the Democrats, which is looking more and more certain that that's going to be the case, but you got to get out there and vote to make it happen, folks. So get the fuck out there and vote come November 6th. Um, I lost my train of thought, but uh, voting's really important. No, no, it's important because to flip the House, because once the House flips, they are fucked because it is most assured that the House is going to draw up articles of impeachment, forward them to the Senate, where a trial will take place. And it is then, because of the evidence in the Mueller probe, that the Senate, I believe, and maybe, again, be an optimistic Jesse, I believe they will do the right thing. Not all of them. There's a lot of dickholes over there. <laughs> but compared to the House, there is more reason and rationality over there. Now, listen, as time ticks on, Maybe not, 
with 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 Rand Paul, the the civil libertarian, golfing with his good buddy Trump. Well, you also heard Rudy Giuliani being very dismissive about Don McGahn, which is another right. member of the White House Counsel, and he has given like thirty hours of interviews to the Mueller team. The man who may know the most about President Trump's actions in the White House and the legality of them is said to be cooperating extensively with special counsel Robert Mueller. The New York Times reporting today that White House counsel Don McGahn has given three voluntary interviews to investigators totaling around 30 hours in all. And to help put that into perspective, a former Whitewater investigator told the New York Times that having access like this to a president's attorney would, quote, be like having the keys to the kingdom. CNN's Ryan Nobles is live near the president's golf resort in New Jersey, where he's spending the weekend. Ryan, this cooperation is incredibly unusual. So why is McGahn cooperating and what could he know? Well, there's a bunch of different reasons why Don McGahn is involved in this situation at the level that he is involved in it. But essentially, it started because Donald Trump's former criminal lawyers, those that were representing him in the special counsel probe, decided that it was a good idea for Don McGahn to voluntarily cooperate with the special counsel and not to invoke attorney-client privilege. But when that happened, according to The New York Times, McGahn and his own private lawyer decided that there was some concern that perhaps McGahn was being set up to be perhaps become the fall guy for Donald Trump uh, as it relates to the potential for obstruction of justice uh, throughout the Mueller investigation. So that's why McGahn decided to fully cooperate and tell the facts as he knows them. And uh, there are few people in the Trump White House that know as much about everything that's gone on over the past year and a half uh, than Don McGahn. Here's just a list of some of the things that he has direct knowledge of. Of course, uh, he was there uh, and actually told Donald Trump that he would quit if uh, the president made a move to fire the special counsel Robert Mueller. Uh, also, in January of uh, 2017, McGahn became aware of the possibility that Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor, had likely lied to the FBI. And he was also warned, it was Don McGahn that was warned by the Attorney General Jeff Sessions that if the president made a move to fire the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, that uh, Jeff Sessions would likely resign. So Don McGahn in the middle of all of that. And of course, Don McGahn was there when the president made the very controversial decision to fire the FBI Director James Comey. Now, at this point, the president's legal team has not responded to this New York Times report. Uh, Sarah Sanders told the New York Times uh, that they, they aren't concerned at all with these uh, interviews that McGahn has given because uh, they feel that that the president has nothing to hide. But Rudy Giuliani did put out this tweet about an hour ago that doesn't specifically talk about the New York Times report, but Giuliani says this, quote, time for the Mueller investigation to file a report. We will release ours. Don't interfere with elections like Comey. The president had nothing to do with the Russians. He didn't obstruct an investigation. 1.4 million documents and 32 witnesses, no privilege raised. So there, uh, the Giuliani, who's now become perhaps the chief spokesperson uh, for the Trump legal team, making it clear that they want this investigation to wrap up. One more point I'll make on it before I send it back to you is that I've been in contact with someone uh, that has direct knowledge of the McGahn legal strategy as it relates to all of this. And this person told me that they would not agree with the insinuation in the New York Times report that somehow uh, Don McGahn was providing what they described as incriminating information about Donald Trump. They say that he was just telling the truth as he was required to do. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts of this story, Anna. And of course, we're still waiting for the president himself uh, to respond to what the New York Times is reporting. And of course, Donald Trump went on a tirade 
talking about the failing New York Times and how it was bullshit and it was a lie. He went insane on Twitter. Well, and part of that is because they don't have a full accounting of what that is right. Don McGahn said to the investigators because uh, apparently after he was initially interviewed, they never asked him for a complete description right. of what he said. 30 hours of... Listen. Which seems like an important thing to ask, right? Yes, of course. Hey, what happened in there? Let's debrief you immediately so you don't forget anything and we know exactly what's going on. Here's here's the deal that people need to understand. Don McGahn is not Donald Trump's lawyer. He's White House counsel. He's the lawyer for the presidency Mm -hmm. of the United States. He's not Donald... He's not a Jay Sekulow. He's not a Ty Cobb. I guess Ty Cobb did work for the office of the White House counsel. Uh, he's not a Rudy Giuliani. He's a White House employee. He's not being paid by the Republican National Committee, the legal bills of Donald Trump. So th- this is a big deal. And of course they're going to say, hey, we didn't say anything incriminating. We just told the truth and did our job. Mm-hmm. They want, well, and he want, probably wants to keep his job, but uh, but otherwise... He doesn't want the ire of the president. He doesn't want to be fired and then vilified. He wants to keep the waves at at a minimum here. This is also seismic for Donald Trump. The fact that the White House counsel, just like John Dean in Nixon's administration, who brought the whole fucking house of cards crashing down, Don McGahn could be that for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And he's worried that that's the case. He's very worried. You can tell by his Twitter activity. If you're, listen, I'm a student of Donald Trump on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, even having been blocked by him, Mm -hmm. I'm still a student because I have other accounts. That's dedication. (laughs) You're a dedicated student. You can tell when something's a a burr under his saddle. Uh Uh-huh. And Don McGahn, this whole thing has been. He's Donald Trump's the increasing manicness of his tweets is crazy right now. Mm-hmm. So this is a story. <clears throat> excuse me. This is a story we're going to continue to follow as I clear my throat like a professional broadcaster. Yeah. And uh, wait for it because there's going to be some stuff come down the pike. And I think probably this this week or next, it's going to. Um, he might lose his job. Donald Trump's going to start attacking him. It's going to be kind of a Jeff Sessions thing, but we'll see. A couple other things happened this week that I want to address real quick before we wrap, and that is Aretha Franklin died this week. The Queen of Soul. Her impact on music cannot be overstated. Mm -hmm. What a genius, Mm -hmm. wonderful woman she was. Mm Mm-hmm. And Remarkable in, talent. After her, her death was announced, President Obama came out. Many leaders, people who knew her best, came out and gave their condolences and made a statement about her life and the impact that her life had on the country. Donald Trump did the same, except it was more Donald Trump-like. Well, I want to uh, begin today by expressing my condolences to the family of a person I knew well. Uh, she worked for me on numerous occasions. She was terrific. Aretha Franklin on her passing. She's brought joy to millions of lives and her extraordinary legacy will thrive and inspire many generations to come. She was given a great gift from God, her voice. And she used it well. People loved Aretha. She's a special woman. So I just want to uh, 
pass on my warmest best wishes and sympathies to her family. Uh, this this idiot. Um, the first thing that he says is that he knew her very well. And then he says she worked for me. Yeah. And then he goes on to talk about her contribution and what why her life was so meaningful. He negates everything he's getting ready to say by talking about how she was an employee of mine. I, I she I put her to work. Yeah. I knew her. Yeah. Let's juxtapose that statement with the statement from the Obamas. America has no royalty, but we do have a chance to earn something more enduring. Born in Memphis and raised in Detroit, Aretha Franklin grew up performing gospel songs in her father's congregation. For more than six decades since, every time she sang, we were all graced with a glimpse of the divine. Through her compositions and unmatched musicianship, Aretha helped define the American experience. In her voice, we could feel our history, all of it, and in every shade, our power and our pain, our darkness, our light our quest for redemption, and our hard-won respect. She helped us feel more connected to each other, more hopeful, more human. And sometimes she helped us just forget about everything else and dance. Aretha may have passed on to a better place, but the gift of her music remains to inspire us all. May the Queen of Soul rest in eternal peace. Michelle and I send our prayers and warmest sympathies to her family and all those moved by her song juxtaposed against this. Well, I want to uh, begin today by expressing my condolences to the family of a person I knew well. Uh, she worked for me on numerous occasions. She was... Come on. Seriously, what's the deal, honestly? Why does it always have to be about him? Aretha Franklin died. You can't even honor her without talking about what she was to you. You know, like she worked for me. Why does that? How is that relevant at all? What is what? Well, it's listen. It's not even that. It's what she meant to him because this isn't about how, what she meant to him. Yeah, it's not meant. It's oh yeah, I hired her a few times. She was an employee. If someone dies, you talk about them. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you talk about their impact on the world. Yeah, or their impact on you, their family. Yeah, not oh yeah, this guy died. Oh yeah. Uh, I hired him to work on my carburetor a few times. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Irrelevant. The guy died. His family is hurting. Right. Uh, it, I don't know. It, it's. I mean, I do know. Donald Trump is only concerned with one person, and that's himself. I, I believe he's incapable of of mustering genuine emotion, genuine concern, genuine compassion. So people might think that this is relatively minor, but I don't know. It bothered me. So there were so many beautiful uh, tributes to her and just a full recognition of what her contribution was and how meaningful her existence was on Earth. And then you had him try to talk about it. Yeah. And it was kind of embarrassing. The other thing that happened, and this again kind of goes to the the crazy backwards bullshit that this White House tries to pull all the time. And it was Kellyanne Conway coming to work the other day and being asked by White House reporters, people who are paid to report on the goings-on at the White House, journalists. They start asking her questions. And she said this. Why is everybody so obsessed with the President of the United States that they can't even begin or finish a sentence without mentioning his name five times? It's kind of weird. And- <laughs> what? 
Oh God. <laughs> like you said, it, what what was the the thing about the the movie? The Mean Girls. And I'd be like, Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> That's what it reminded me of as soon as I heard it. Because again, th- they weren't like uh, at an Applebee's when she's saying this, uh, trying to like have a party or something. They're at the White House. They're reporters with cameras and mics because they're doing their job. Right. What What else are they supposed to be talking about, Kellyanne, when they're at the White House and they're reporters and they're reporting on what's going on in this hectic administration? What would she have them talk about while they're there hey, at the White House? Uh, when's this lawn going to be mowed? Yeah. <laughs> Why is everybody so obsessed with the president of the United States that they can't even begin or finish a sentence without mentioning his name five times? And I'd be like. Why are you so obsessed with me? Also, Donald Trump loves being talked about. Of course. He loves the media coverage. He loves the attention. Um, He loves being on the front page. That's all he's ever wanted, right? So shouldn't she be happy that the press is always talking about him and, in her words, so obsessed? Oh, so obsessed. Yeah, he's listen, he's (laughs) not a city council member of some little podunk town. He's the president of the United States of America, you freak. What What does that even mean? You're so obsessed, you can't even ask a question without mentioning his name. They're there to ask questions about the president. Mm-hmm. It's his office and his house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but, but some people heard this and they were like, hmm, Kellyanne makes a good point. Yeah, of course they did. Why are they so obsessed with him? Ugh. All right. I think I'm done. How about you? Because it's too hot. It is a little hot. The AC is not working on on a Sunday. Well, here. Sunday night. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. Good times. What are you going to do? Taking care of biz. Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo from Chris Cuomo Primetime on CNN. Yep, he has his own show on CNN. He was interviewing Anthony Scaramucci. And the great thing about Chris Cuomo is he's super good on his feet. Um, He, particularly in this moment, was interacting with Anthony Scaramucci. And you kind of know what you're going to get with the mooch. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, they're also kind of buddies. They have a playful relationship. So in this clip, Anthony Scaramucci and Chris Cuomo are talking about Omarosa and Omarosa getting fired and Anthony Scaramucci's situation getting fired. And he s- makes a comment and Chris Cuomo has just the perfect rebuttal to that comment. Uh, I wouldn't have left her in the situation room for two hours before I fired her. If you guys wanted to get rid of her, there was probably a classier way of doing that. Um, you're not going to silence somebody like Amarosa, and Amarosa is going to say whatever she wants anyway. Uh, and I would just ignore the situation because, at the end of the day, uh, when somebody turns like that and someone becomes that disloyal to you after 15 years of service over a firing, okay? Look, they they fired me brutally, Chris. Okay, mm-hmm. I I was there for 11 days. I made a mistake. You had your buddy come on CNN, play the tape. Uh, they fired me brutally. I worked for the guy for two years on the campaign. Countless hours of media advocacy. Right. I'm not going to lose my friendship with the president because of the way they fired me. Amorosa is a different beast. Okay, she wants Understood. to take a different tact in the situation. I, I think it's a mistake for her, but it's an even bigger mistake for the president of the United it States always is. Uh, to sit there and tweet about her. That's true. And say things about her that he should not be it's saying. True. The so big man in the room. You may not like me for that. I actually don't care. 
The big man on my in the room guy, does not need Chris, to punch I'm not down. A yes person. But we see it time and time again. We'll see punch what he figures out of how to punish Omarosa. But if, Anthony if, if I am, if I am going to have a girly cry, if I am going to have a girly cry, it's when you beat me in a debate. And so since that's never going to happen, Chris. I'm going to be good without the girly cries. Two points. So you know. Crying is not girly. It's a show of sensitivity, which is strength. You should tap into that. Get a little emotional intelligence going okay. there. And oh. second of all, oh, okay. when you wake oh, up from this dream of superiority, give me a call. I'll tell you what happened in the interim. All right, now, you, now you're going to cut the commercial. Yes, like right now. Goodbye. Time, Take Anthony show. off the screen. Okay, keep going, Thank buddy. you very much. <laughs> Ever wonder what happened to the Gipper? Uh, you know, what happened with what President Reagan would think about President Trump? We like So... That was a hilarious end to the interview. Yeah. But one, it is a little playful. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't just Chris Cuomo being a dick. Mm -hmm. um, but I loved that, um, again, thinking on his feet. He that, really thinks on his feet. That point about him having a girly cry, and then he just directly says that it's not girly. Sensitivity, showing sensitivity is strength. Right. Maybe you should tap into that and get a little emotional intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> Get a little emotional intelligence going. Um, and that was just a great moment, uh, especially from Chris Cuomo, who's like a very masculine figure on CNN. Yeah, you've, we've looked at his Instagram and it's a lot of... I follow him on Instagram. It's a lot of Chris Cuomo doing pull-ups and shit like that, he which goes to annoys the, gym a lot. the fuck out of he me. He goes to the gym a lot. But I think it's good that there is someone on primetime television uh, getting these talking points out there about... Um, crying and so quickly if i am going to have a girly cry if i am going to have a girly cry it's when you beat me in a debate and so since that's never going to happen chris i'm going to be good without the girly cries two points so you know crying is not girly it's a show of sensitivity which is strength you should tap into that get a little emotional intelligence going okay. there and <laughs> second of all oh, when okay. you wake oh, up from this dream of superiority give me a call i'll tell you what happened in the interim all right, now, you, now you're going to cut the commercial. Yes, like right now. Goodbye. Time, Take Anthony show. off the screen. Okay, keep going, Thank buddy. you very much. <laughs> when you wake up from this dream of, in, of superiority, uh, I'll let you know what happened in the interim. It's awesome. And then you're just going to cut the commercial. Because, yep, take Anthony off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's his show, man. Yep. All right. We're going to leave you there, everybody. Thanks for joining us for episode 439. We'll be back in a couple of days with episode 440. Can you believe we're this far? Yeah, so we forgot to say this. So um, this is the third episode from last week, and we plan to do a Tuesday, Thursday episode. So, That's right. Uh, likely recording Tuesday, Thursday morning. Yes. So, just so you guys know. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We'd love to hear from you. Help us uh, move the conversation forward. We need your voice for that. So we'd love to have a voicemail or a voice memo. 657-464-7609. Or I doubt it at dollamore.com. You guys are the best. We love and appreciate you. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. I recently discovered Gavin McGinnis in the last year. <laughs> and boy, does his asshole look wax. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>